Good morning and welcome to WNHH's C-Click Fix Radio. I'm Paul Bass, welcoming you to another of our weekly looks at what's happening at the grassroots underneath the mass media radar in our own community as well as in cities across the country through the lens of the C-Click Fix problem-solving website. Joining me as always are C-Click Fix's Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz with the latest Citizen Power News. And in a few minutes, we're also going to welcome and patch in Frank Carmody. Frank is the deputy director of the city of Houston, Texas. In a few minutes, we're going to get to the snow news from the grassroots in our own city of New Haven. But first, Caroline, what is the latest news in Houston, Texas? Sure thing, Paul. So here's what's up in Houston. People are reporting potholes and issues like there's no tomorrow. In particular, there are a couple that seem to have received the most attention. In particular, there's one labeled Other, um, and the description reads, Isn't there a state law that refrigerators have to have doors removed before placing on the curbside? Ooh. And there's a photo attached to, a, attached to it with a yellowed refrigerator at the side of the road. Have there been stories in New Haven where, there, where someone got closed into a refrigerator or something? Actually, funny that you should mention that because the, the comments funny continue. Funny in the sense of funny. Okay, yeah, yeah, what else? Maybe comments? not so funny. <laughs> um, so a, a, uh, another citizen chimes in Avondale Gardner and says, I looked it up online. She did a little research. The law apparently changed in 1989. Texas law. Mm-hmm, the Texas law. And the fine was up to but did not exceed $200 for not having the, the door or for, for not taking the door off. And Avondale Gardner adds, plus, if a kid crawls in and suffocates, that's on the refrigerator owner. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of heavy. That's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, Caroline, the... Um, where are some of these potholes and what are the extent what is the extent of their damage let's see i mean they're they're all over the place um let's see there's one on smith street um if i'm looking at the map right now they seem to cover a lot of the downtown area but actually that's a question that i asked frank um on the phone uh, right before this which was did he have a sense of sort of when collecting the data on all these potholes that are being reported in Houston, does he have a sense of which neighborhoods seem to be getting the most? So Frank Carmody, welcome to C-Click Fix Radio. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So what's the answer to Caroline's question? Is there a pothole epidemic that's different in Houston from before? And is there a particular part of town where we're seeing those potholes? Well, first of all, yeah, there's an, uh, an epidemic. I mean, that's where uh, that's why it's such an issue here in Houston. I think people that drive in Houston would probably uh, support that statement. Um, and, and the mayor, when he came in and actually um, during his uh, inauguration speech, said that he was going to fill potholes by the next business day. Was that, uh, was did he say that before, like ending poverty or getting rid of scary immigrant invaders or anything like that? I mean, was pothole was potholes like <laughs> yeah, front it's, and po- it's pothole. Potholes, potholes are, are are an issue here. Yes, and so he uh, he, he challenged the uh, the public works department to to get them filled by the next business day, and they've been doing a real good job. As far as uh, any given area is concerned, we have uh, we have heat maps on our on the three one website that, that show the areas where they're getting the most uh, reports. But um, in general, they're all over town. So it's not, it's not any one area uh, in Houston. And uh, Frank, what's, what is the reason you have more potholes than used to? Is it weather related? Is it aging infrastructure that wasn't kept up? Yeah. Aging infrastructure that wasn't kept up. Uh, it, it, and we put that off for, 
way too long. Unfortunately, that's one of the things where when you get in into tight budgets, you can say, well, uh, we'll take care of that next year. And that's unfortunately we did that for a number of years. And was this actually an issue in the mayoral campaign? And when was that campaign? The campaign was, uh, you know, just prior to uh, to November. Uh, it was just past year. The mayor is new. He, he just came on. On, actually, his uh, inauguration was on the 4th of January. So um, it was, and yes, it was an issue. Uh, actually, both uh, mayoral candidates, the ones who were in the runoff, which took place in December, were, were pushing pothole repair. And so why now? You said aging infrastructure. Had people been getting by pretty much without talking much about potholes until, let's say, two years ago, three years ago? And is there something different about the climate in Houston from, let's say, up here in New England that would cause the potholes? Well, I'm not I'm not a, a street uh, pothole expert, actually. I mean, because, of course, what 301 does is we – the uh, citizens will call us and tell, them, tell us where they are, and, and we create uh, service requests. Or, hopefully, what they'll do is they'll, they'll use the, uh, the C-Click-Fix app, because what that does is significantly reduce the, uh, the number of calls that come in to us. Uh, we're getting about 5,800 calls in a day, typical weekday. Wait a second, uh, wait a second, 5,800 calls a day to fix potholes? No, 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 not oh, just okay. for potholes. We, no, we have we have 142 different types of service requests. Uh-huh. So uh, we're, we're a 24-7 operation. We have uh, all, and, and service requests run the gamut from, you know, water leaks to uh, container problems to missed garbage to, Nuisance on properties, uh, drainage issues, potholes, street hazards, and so on. So, Frank, do you have uh, any kind of we, metrics on how many complaints you get about potholes, or how many you've been fixing? We do, and 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 uh, and actually, we have a uh, a website that's dedicated to that. Um, I don't. I'd have to go to that website to see what it is, but we we've been running around. Ninety-four percent of them uh, have been addressed by the next business day. So I think that Public Works is doing a good job. And um, what does it mean to address it? Does it mean to te- like here in, in New Haven, Frank? Because of our seasonal weather, we'll do a right. temporary patch in the winter and then wait till the winter's over to do a deeper patch. When you say ninety-four percent, right. which sounds like an incredible response to me, especially since you're a bigger city, I mean ninety-four percent. 24 hours right. is just something we can only dream about. What happens in those 24 hours? What what kind well, of repair is made? Right. It does depend on on uh, on how severe the damage is. Um, and we're we define potholes as anything uh, 25 square feet or less. Um, and, and to make it easy on folks, we say five feet wide. Uh, now, but then again. Some of those can be uh, base failures. For example, they're going to take uh, more extensive work. So, uh, what what that would addressing it would mean going out there, seeing that okay, this is a uh, th- this is a street condition that that's more severe, and we've got to upgrade that to to a a, a street condition or, or a um, base failure, for example, or buckling or something of that nature. And they have 30 days to address that to, to fix that problem. And but as far as potholes, the ones the ones that fit into that category of 25 square feet or less, um, that they have until they be in public works has until the next business day to fix that problem. Um, now, um, in some cases, it'll be a temporary fix, it, 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 just as you all do. Uh, 
and, and they're gonna have to go back later and and fix it um, permanently. But um, what uh, right now, as far as the the metrics are concerned, it means it means just fixing it, even if it's temporary. And uh, Carol, do you mind if I ask one or two more questions about potholes? Not at the next all. story because this is fascinating to me because we write a lot about potholes in New Haven. So Frank, um, we heard that your mayor himself was in a meeting and ran out of the meeting to fix a pothole. Is this urban legend or is this for real? Well, he did go out and, and fix a pothole, yeah. he Was, he it, was a, it the meeting a, about like a deal with a multi-million dollar land sale to a developer? Was it about someone yelling at him about uh, dogs? I mean, what did he leave to go uh, fix this pothole? Well, that's the first I've heard of that. I, I think it was planned. All great urban legends start that way. So he actually, what, yeah, what urban he legends do? are more fun. Yeah. Uh, but but I think that this was this was very well planned, and 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 we had uh, council members there. We had, of course, public works was there. Uh, so and what did he do? Um, did he have a shovel and he had tar? Did what did he do? What did he, what was his role? Oh yeah, he certainly did. Yeah, he he there was a there was a pothole and that was reported and. He he went out and and uh, and he he filled the pothole and and then he he had the he ran the machine that actually um it actually pounds the, the the pothole material into the pothole. And the last so question he, I to, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I interrupted you there. You said he ran. Yeah, the machine. So, so he yeah, so he he actually uh, added to the workforce that day by one one guy. All right. Um, Caroline, any other news in Houston that you've been tracking at C-Click Fix? Absolutely. One quick question I had for Frank. What is pothole material? Well, I think it depends on the uh, on, on the pothole. And really, I'm not I'm not really the guy to ask that because that's going to really uh, go back to the, the guys over at Streets and Drainage mm-hmm. and Public Works. Um, you know, we're, we're the guys who, who just take the message and pass it on to Public Works. But when it comes down to, to how they actually go about filling it, what kind of materials they use and such, it's really uh, it really falls to the Public Works guys. But it can't happen without you getting the message there, which is kind of what the whole C-Click-Fix revolution in 311 and people like yourself in government who make sure the citizen's message gets to the right person, then it gets followed up so we know all about it. So we salute what you do, Frank. Yeah, thank you. Other news in Houston, Caroline? Absolutely. So we have a guest reporter reporting a certificate of occupancy violation. And they add an article to this, which is entitled Chicago Pizza Favorite, called Connie's Coming to Houston's Heights. Chicago and, to Houston. Mm-hmm. I hope they're not going to bring with it any of their Rahm Manuel's problems as a side order. We'll see. Um, and, and they include in the description, this establishment does not have adequate parking or bathrooms to operate a restaurant. They flagrantly and repeatedly attempt to sell pizza at this location in violation of their occupancy, which is solely for a dessert shop. Oh, and what was the name of the poster there? And the name of the poster or the name of the the name of the shop is called Connie's. No, the po- the poster. Oh, it's a guest. I wonder if guest was someone who's competing with Connie's and where the Connie's <laughs> sell better pizza. The Sally's to the Frank. To yes, the Pepe's. Um, yeah. Sally then slash underscore I mean guest <laughs> user. <laughs> They're definitely super Any response cheap. to that one, Caroline? Uh, yeah, so it looks like, so first of all, the city of Houston 301 acknowledged it. And then another citizen, Joseph West, said, how is a restaurant, how is it, how is it a restaurant if you are picking the pizza up? They have the same amount of parking as Pink's Pizza in the Heights. And then he adds, get with it. Whoa. So, uh, so Frank, tell me about this. What's the real 911 here? Uh, I'm excuse me, the 411 here on the pizza wars in Houston. Oh, 311. <laughs> it's the 311. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, what are the three one one things? So what's yeah, the four one one? I, I think that 
Yeah, and, and you may be right. It may be a competitor who's doing that. But when we get, when we see those types of, uh, of calls or complaints, what we do is we, we notify, in this case, it would be Department of Neighborhoods, or, uh, who would go out and, and investigate uh, whether or not this is, uh, is actually a violation. If it is, they, they issue a, uh, a citation. So, Frank, I guess one issue that Caroline was reading was whether what you could call a restaurant. Like, when do you have to have a bathroom in Houston, Frank? If it's a takeout place mostly, if it's a full restaurant, if it's somewhere in between, we have places in New Haven where they have one or two seats, tables up front, a couple people sit, but most people are taking out. Is there any kind of hard and fast rule in Houston, Frank, about bathrooms? Not, not that I'm aware of. Uh, no, I mean, we we don't have, I think, as many regulations as a lot of municipalities do, but I'm not aware of that. We don't, for example, we don't have uh, a... Uh, uh, a business license, you know, you can you can open a, a business in Houston. Uh, I'm sure that the that, that the the health department may have some uh, some requirements. You know, obviously people who are serving food and that sort of thing have got to they've got to go through training and they've got to be able to wash their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure about as far as what size it has to be uh, before it has to offer uh, bathroom facilities. So, Frank, we've actually been talking about bathrooms right here on this radio station yesterday in public. It's a little separate from that news item. New Haven, we're a small city, 130,000 people. We have over a million visitors a year. A lot goes on here. And there's no place really to go right. to the bathroom downtown unless you kind of beg the restaurant. And they're always worried about their bathrooms being used too right. much. So they want to do three public loos downtown. They want to design them. They looked how Portland did them in Paris. And they've been a disaster in some places. They're trashed or they don't run well. Other places, they're attractive. Can people go to the bathroom in public in Houston downtown pretty easily? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they can't. They can't. No, we don't. Ha- we don't have a lot of, uh, of public uh, restrooms uh, uh, that the, that the city uh, has uh, installed. I think that um, it, it, we'd be in the same situation. You, you'd have to go and, and beg the restaurants or or other retail facilities to use them. There are some here and there. That are in, uh, for example, we have a tunnel system in Houston. All, 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 you can go from one end of Houston to the other underneath underground by foot or uh, car. And, no, no, by foot. Oh, it's, that's it's, neat. It's, uh, it's like it's like, yeah, it's a huge mall is what it amounts to, and it, it goes from it goes north, south, and east, west. It's uh, it's it's well trafficked during uh, during business hours. A lot of restaurants are down there, but there, there's some shops and such too, and there's some. Uh, restroom facilities uh, down in the tunnel system. Oh, so you can't go down. You can't go to the bathroom underground. Yes. Now, is there other safety concerns with that tunnel? No, no. I tell you what. If you were to go in the tunnel, you would think you're in a mall. It's pretty much way, the way it looks, and and there, there's just a a mall with a whole lot more restaurants in it because it really does serve the 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 uh, the business community, the nine to five workers. Uh, you know, it's, they had breakfast down there and lunch and that sort of thing. But, uh, and there are other, there are stores and there are, there are services like there are dentists down there, for example, and chiropractors and doctor's offices and, and what have you. But, um, it's not, it's not at all unsafe. It's, it's not, it's not some dark tunnel system like a mine shaft or something. It, it's, uh, it's, you would think you're in a mall, but you're below ground. Frank, I got, I have a, an important personal question for you. Uh, uh-huh. where, where do the Carmody's eat pizza in Houston? What's the place <laughs> of choice? Well, you know, Houston has more, you said, where do we eat? Yeah. What's your, what's mean? your pizza joint? Oh, uh, my pizza joint. My pizza joint would be crisp. Crisp. Mm. Um, yeah. Crisp, crisp would be, they, they serve the kind of pizza I like. 
Um, is it but crisp? I think that that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be your chocolate and vanilla kind of question because you're going to have a bunch of folks who would, I'm sure, have another favorite place. What's the pizza like at Crisp? Is it thin crust, thick? Do they use coal fire ovens, brick ovens? What do they got? They got brick ovens, and yes, they're they're thin and crispy, as the as the name might imply. A little but, bit black. But it's also kind. Of, pardon me. Is the crust a little bit black and like a New Haven out of our? Uh, out of no, our no. No, it's, it's, it's crispy, but I, I don't think it's blackened. One question building off of that. So pizza is clearly the sort of a, uh, a thing that people, people talk about a lot in New Haven. Is there an equivalent food uh, category or item that people talk a lot about in Houston um, uh, that's like equivalent to a pizza category? I think, well, Tex-Mex is, is something that... that we're, we're known for, you know, we're, we're we've got a large uh, Hispanic community, a lot of a lot of folks from uh, from Mexico. So, uh, Tex-Mex is is uh, is pretty popular down here. But Houston actually has uh, we have more restaurants per capita than than uh, I, I think we're number one in restaurants per capita. Well, so restaurant bathrooms too, I bet. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> so Frank Carmody, thanks so much. Can you hold on the line while we go to sure. some other cities and yeah, get I'll your intake, especially from uh, San Francisco? Because yeah, sure. you're listening to C Click Fix Radio on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're talking C Click Fix Radio news today with Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz of C Click Fix with our special guest. Frank Carmody, the deputy director, and Mr. 311, got the number right this time, from Thanks, Houston, boy. Texas. Ben Berkowitz, what's the latest grassroots C-Click Fix news coming out at New Haven, Connecticut? Well, as everyone here knows, our fair city is covered in snow, so it's going to be unusual if we find yeah. an issue that's not. But it was not. just a foot, right? That's not now. We had three feet a couple of years ago. We can handle it. Yeah, we're we can handle not snow it. wimps anymore. Bank-owned property not taking Ooh. care of sidewalks. Sound familiar, Paul? Yes, it does. All right. <laughs> It's been acknowledged. It's at 358 Fairfield Street, New Haven, Connecticut. It was reported by JB. It's been viewed 55 times, and it was reported on January 25th. Let's go to the description. As I was walking to the bus this morning by the corner bank-owned lot, I noticed that while the sidewalks around the property were not shoveled, a path to the front door was. No one lives here. Pedestrians should be able to safely walk around the neighborhood, not in the street, even when it snows. LCI, that's the Livable Cities Initiative, Please take note and impose a daily fine on these owners and let them know that they should be clearing the sidewalks. Normally, I would wait to report something like this until it was habitual, but I just think it's crazy that someone who should, would shovel the walkway to the door when no one actually lives at the property, but not the sidewalk that is used every day by people in the neighborhood. Issue has been acknowledged by the Department of Public Works. Uh, they've received the issue and they will investigate the matter soon. And... Uh, we have Susan, Suzanne, rather, who's come on and said ditto. Uh, and then LCI, the Livable Cities Initiative, Westville. The bank has been notified by LCI, and DPW has posted a warning. Uh, JB has come back as of 22 minutes ago and has said the sidewalks are still not cleared. Well, we should start finding them. LCI can give $99 a day fines on these banks. These banks are criminals. They gave all these, these irresponsible loans they got the big fees on for a bunch of years. Then came the crash. And they're not, in a lot of cases, not even taking ownership of the properties. They just start foreclosure, so they don't have to be responsible. In some cases, LCI has done a great job. Frank, here in New Haven, we have a law where they get $99 a day for blight if they don't fix stuff. And it actually adds up over time, so much so that sometimes the banks don't end up foreclosing and, and, bank, and houses sit for years because there's so many back fees to pay they don't want to actually have the transaction. 
And I think we got to get in this case because, Ben, I follow C-Click Fix, mm. and I noticed that that was not the only posting during the storm about bank-owned, and that's the problem. We did a right. good job here. I thought clearing a lot of our streets, a lot we of our sidewalks. Job. It was a mm-hmm. good snowstorm for that. But these bank-owned bank lords, these 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 criminal, greedy institutions that are on a national scale just rape neighborhoods, you see this just in the snowstorm. Where, was there more of that that you saw? Absolutely. I reported to myself. I actually walked, you know, the two and a half miles from home to downtown. I did that too right after the storm. Yeah. And I noticed <laughs> that most of the streets creeping on small streets was really good. Mm-hmm. But some of the sidewalks with the curb cuts were not. And that places like Yale weren't going far enough where they had property. The only places I reported. I didn't run into you. It was beautiful. I know. For walking. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. great. Yeah. And the only places I saw, and you can see this in the photos of my, my posts on C-Click Fix, had bank uh, bank owned uh, real estate signs outside, so I I, I would agree anecdotally. Was there one on Westwood Road? Uh, I didn't see the one on Westwood. I take uh, I take Edgewood. No, I mean on C Click Fix. There might be. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I don't have that up. Well, that's a good one. So Frank, what about in Houston, Frank? I could imagine that you have a problem with foreclosures. That since the 2008 crash, there must be a lot of bank owned property. Frank, in Houston, do you get a lot of complaints about how absentee bank owners of property are keeping up the property? We, we get our fair share. Yeah, uh, we call the, that uh, dangerous buildings, um, which is a fairly high, uh, we, get, we receive a fairly high number of reports on that. Um, that. That goes to the Department of Neighborhoods, and they go out and investigate it. Um, and, you know, that's one of those things where it can take about uh, 360 days is what their their what Department of Neighborhoods SLA is on that. Or they have 360 days to address it. Wait a second. They have three, like a if long... you have a if they if they got blight in someone's neighborhood because the bank doesn't want to deal with the property, they have a whole year before they have to do anything about it before they get in trouble. Well, I wouldn't say before they get in trouble, but there's a lot of due process that has to take place. In other words, the first thing you have to do is is identify the owner. Uh, then what they've got to do is they've got to uh, give the owner a chance to cure the problem, uh, uh, and then if the problem is not cured within a certain period of time, uh, then they can start legal action. But uh, because it's legal action and the court systems move rather slowly, Department of Neighborhoods can't really uh, affect that. And, and so uh, we're, we're relied then, or they are relying then on the on the court system and how how fast the court systems can move. Which they don't. Which is why in New Haven we passed a law a few years ago that lets the inspector right away. And of course they do try to contact the owner first. And these bank people, you can't find them, and they don't write back. But we don't have to wait for court. We do have to wait for court for the big fixes and to collect. But those ninety nine dollar day fines can start right away. And you know about MERS, right, M-E-R-S. The banks have gone to such extent now when they resell loans to have the lenders hide who they are. So your inspectors right. and reporters, we can't even go to the land records anymore and find a person or an institution or even the, the responsible party sometimes for, for the house. But anyway, so, so Ben, any other news in New Haven? This Absolutely. Week? I think let's, let's jump to the other side of the spectrum. So we, we have the banks who aren't taking care of their property. Uh, I think it's time to jump to to the neighbors who are taking care of other neighbors. Ooh, the the upside, the snow crew. <laughs> All right, absolutely. And this got launched by C Click Fix what two some winters ago? Yeah, a few winters ago. That's right. And th- this year, uh, uh, thousands of issues were reported through Snow Crew. Uh, the point of Snow Crew is to leverage C Click Fix, uh, not to uh, uh, 
um, necessarily ask the city for help, but to ask neighbors for help and to empower neighbors to help out other neighbors. I was noticing posting on Seek Fix Six, an elderly person couldn't get out. Someone mm. was looking for help to get him out. I love that you guys do that. So, so I, I would like to, I'll read a couple of these, and I'd like to highlight a specific neighbor who really impressed me during the okay. storm. So, snow-related, Fountain Street at Ramsdale, New Haven, Connecticut, uh, reported by Novena Jillians. There is an abundance of snow right at the bus stop. The bus entrance was also covered. I had to stand away from that area and then walk into the street to catch this bus. This is extremely dangerous. Cars are not slowing down. In steps, super user, James Trimble. Ooh. I'll help with this issue if time allows. Then James comes back. Just shoveled out part of the snow at the bus stop. I knew clearing the sidewalk was my top priority, but so was the bus stop. Glad I could help with both of those. And then James closed it out. It was already taken care of earlier. As of yesterday, most of the snow around the bus stop was already cleared. Makes things a whole lot easier. So James actually circled back around to check on it the next day. Excellent. Let's check, jump over to snow-related uh, between Ramsdale and Cooper. Uh, the sidewalk on Fountain between Ramsdale and Cooper is non-existent. There is a steel fence that leads all the way across. It is dangerous and covered with snow. A lady and I had to manage our way through it, slipping several times. This is the same area I complained about back in the fall with the leaves. Now that the snow has covered the leaves, it is even more dangerous. This is the only walkway to get to my house without walking in the road. Please, all caps, take note of this before someone gets seriously hurt. Thanks. James Trimble. I'll be there to shovel it out in about 20 to right, 30 so minutes. I'm getting a theme here. James, who is <laughs> picking it up? James Trimble? I don't know James Trimble, but I can tell you He's an He's got anecdote. a shovel. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. I know this may be difficult at first, but that I could, glad I can be of help. <laughs> James Trimble. Well, just shoveled half the sidewalk on Fountain Street between Ramsdale and Cooper. I hope he's not making it up, by the way. I am not making this up. I just went to Brookside and did nine miles of road. I am about to give you definitive evidence that he is not making it up. Because I saw James Trimble outside of my home on the snow. Turns out I knew what I had to do before worse things happen. Like if someone found walking the snow and leaf-covered sidewalk treacherous and they slipped on it. It was not an easy feat when it came to all of that shoveling, but somehow I had to do it. And boy, did I find all those leaves under the snow. I shoveled them away from the sidewalk. So next time someone like you needs to navigate it, it'll be easier. Really glad I put in a whole lot of effort and strength just to accomplish this Herculean task. So now, Paul. Uh, he did call himself Herculean. That's a little bit like the person that tries to dress up like Spider-Man and like jump out of I, I, you know. I'm sorry. I shouldn't diss James. James yeah, was out there. He was a I, hero I, in I have storm. to say that. Um, at 169 Alden Avenue, someone reported, let's bring it up right here, 169 Alden, someone reported snow on front walk, not shoveled. Now, I will tell you from personal experience, because I live uh, one number separated from that address, that when my wife and I went out in the morning, uh, we shoveled other neighbors' walks out to the left and right. I looked what across mentions? the street. I looked at the ba- snowbank. It looked like the neighbors across the street had been shoveled out, uh, so I didn't go across the street and look. So when I saw this request come in, and I did get an alert, I thought that maybe one of my friends was trolling me about my own uh. sidewalk. But I looked outside, and uh, what I saw was I, that someone was shoveling. So I commented and said, "Looks looks shoveled to me," or I said, "Oh, I see the walk was not fully done. Someone is out there now doing it." James Trimble. (laughs) Actually, I was the one who did it. Having to summon every last bit of my energy, I did my very best to clear most of it, if not all of the snow from the sidewalk. I'm really happy I could take care of it last minute. Hopefully those who live there will be happy someone did it. 
I said, you rock, James. Sorry I did not come out and say hi. I'm across the street. Uh, I got walks to the left and right of us earlier. And then James responded, thanks for the con kind compliments. It sure was great making a difference if so in someone's life. Glad I had an opportunity to do so. And he I beat me the... by within 45 minutes. And you live minutes. across the street. Yeah. But you were you had a good alibi with the snow drift. Yeah. Plus that you did do other neighbors' houses. Which is very okay. nice. Whereas I always feel sorry for myself because all my neighbors have snowblowers. And I don't feel sorry for <laughs> myself about the walk. But when you do the math of your driveway... And it's not a—it's not the fault of the plow guys, but they come by and they get all this mm -hmm. packed ice that you have to then dig out, and that mm -hmm. takes longer than your whole driveway. Yeah. But I apologize to James Trimble. He's not like those lifeguards who jump in to save people who are swimming just fine. Um, Frank, over in Houston, obviously you don't have those snow problems, but do you have other cases like that where citizens look at what's on either your 311 system or C-Click Fix and go and take care of the problem themselves? You broke up a little bit. I'm sorry. Do you have that same phenomenon in Houston where citizens look at either 311 or um, they look at uh, C-Click Fix and go take matters into their own hands and just fix a problem? Yeah, I wish. I, I, can't, I can't say we do. Um, that, that's, that's something that uh, I guess hasn't occurred to a lot of people that they could go out and fix some of these things themselves. We have had some, some issues with graffiti where people do that. Uh, but uh, the only one, and that's the only one I can, I, I can, what do they, what do they do with graffiti? They, what they'll do is, uh, is typically they paint over it. Cause in New Haven, Ben, who's in this room, did a public art project that got defaced by graffiti. <laughs> and then when people on the uh -huh. paper over it, we had a great debate in the independent about yeah. who gets to decide what is graffiti and what's mm -hmm. not, and who owns the space. And I, I ended up pretty conservative on that issue because I thought the citizens group that did a nice thing on a wall should not have been defaced by some ugly tagging. But I'm told that that's imperialist and culturally um, obnoxious. You know, it is interesting, Paul. Um, I think a lot of people have remarked that some of, you know, in dire times, humans' best behavior comes out, right? And snowstorms are a great example of that. Um, one of the things I've I've realized during some of our great snowstorms is I've watched neighbors helping out other neighbors, dig, you know, through digital record and just anecdotally seeing them on the street helping each other out. That um, maybe there is an opportunity to take some of that context uh, or take take those uh, behaviors, those snow crew like behaviors uh, that that exist seemingly kind of as Frank's pointing out, really only during snowstorms, and and shift that context of volunteerism. Uh, in different ways. And so that that's something kind of I've been thinking about with C-Click Fix. And, What's and this thing about that is C-Click Fix is not government, but also people like Frank who have 311 and use C-Click Fix. Government also can sometimes be the way to get the information for citizens to take action. So right. rather than citizens giving information for government to take action, you guys can be a funnel to citizens to take action. Yeah, absolutely. Redefining government. Yeah. Our, our closest, our, our closest, uh, to that would be um, would be the flooding systems that we had. We, we, we had a lot of flooding back. Uh, it was back in May, uh, mm -hmm. and and we used the people went out with the C Click Fix um, app. Uh, particularly, a lot of the, the council members and their staff and entered a lot of problems that that were uh, uh, flooding issues. And we did have uh, citizens in that case who who uh, a lot of volunteers went out to help people. Uh, clear out, um, you know, clear out uh, wet furniture and mm. carpet, uh, things of that nature, uh, and get it out of the get it out of the home. So, well, that's terrific. Uh, did how did they find yeah, out? How yeah. did they find out where to go, Frank? Were they were they also on the C Click Fix app? 
Well, actually, what we had, we had a flooding uh, website. We, we Just like we have this one for potholes now, but we had a flooding website with heat maps on there that, that would show where the where the major problems were. And it was actually coordinated. The, the mayor uh, tasked the housing department to uh, uh, to coordinate the, the, the relief efforts. And, and uh, there are a lot of different organizations, and they went through the housing department, and they would send them out to the, the various areas. But they used the... They used the heat map to to be able to see where where they needed to go uh, the soonest. That's, so it seems like there's government and Seacliff Fix aided citizens heroes up in New Haven and down in Houston. You're listening to Seacliff Fix Radio on WNHH. We got just a few minutes left. Caroline, what's the news in San Francisco? Wait, not San Francisco. San Francisco South San Francisco, South San Francisco which is not part of San Francisco, California. Mm-hmm. So it looks like one of the issues is illegal dumping, an illegal dumping issue that occurred on 1170 Mission Road. And it's about illegal dumping at a Salvation Army. And I thought what was most interesting about this. That is interesting. Yeah. Like, was it dumping or was it a donation? Fascinating. It looks like from the picture, um, from the picture, it looks like a sort of medley of different sort of bags of trash as well as a... um, a luggage roller as well. Because they've upped the games at Salvation Armies. I mean, it's pretty hip now mm-hmm. to, to mm. shop at Salvation Army. You get some pretty good stuff. There. I think you've just started a new Instagram trend as well. Dumping or donation. Yeah. Hashtag, yeah. I can see that. Exactly. <laughs> so see yeah. people thinking, oh, I'm giving a donation when they really don't want to separate anything that's useful and just dump their stuff. Right. Fascinating. And I thought what was most compelling about this issue is how the code enforcement, generally when I was looking through the issues, the code enforcement in South San Francisco is on it. Um, and consistently go and actually interview the individuals to talk more and get a little bit, sort of flesh out the issue more. And I think the the final comment by one of the code enforcement officers was a, a list of the ways the Salvation Army is going to take um, to attempt to curtail these sort of overnight drop-offs. And, so what are they going to do? Yeah, so one is the trailer will be open from 9 a.m., seven nights per week. Um, two, signs will be posted saying that that particular area will be under surveillance and that dumping will be prohibited when the trailer is closed. Uh, three cameras have been now installed to videotape any illegal dumping. Four, and then the first the first duty of the store manager when they actually arrive at 8 a.m. every morning is to move any items dropped off overnight back behind a fence. And then lastly, the South San Francisco Police Department will continue to perform increased patrols of this area. I love how night. government was number five. Mm. I see Click Fix, you had the, the institution and the citizens figuring out what they could do together. Mm-hmm. Good job, middleman there. Um, any other news in South San Francisco? Let's see. Another one is a, um, a request for service that's been acknowledged. Um, it looks like a $5 Charlie's, so it looks like a restaurant, is going around and placing their advertising materials in our mail slots. Ooh. I thought a company needed a permit to distribute advertising materials door to door. I'm not sure about that. You know what? I think we're going to want to know a little bit more mm-hmm. about what's going on in South San Francisco, California, now that we know that it exists. Because I, I want to know a little more about this next week. Maybe is there someone you can bring on next week? Tell us some more about that. Absolutely. Our buddy Justin from South San Francisco, the GIS coordinator there, will be on next week. At oh, so in other words, we're going to know a little. We're going to get to the bottom mm-hmm. of this. Exactly. And the other mysteries from the grassroots news in California. Bingo. Well, anyway, Frank Carmody of Houston, Texas, thank you so much for joining us on C-Click Fix Radio. And good luck. It sounds like you're doing a great job with the potholes and everything else down there in Houston. Yeah, well, thank you all. 
And thank you for joining us, everybody, on today's edition of C-Click Fix Radio. Thanks, as always, to Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz of C-Click Fix, keeping it real here on WNHH. Thanks, as always, as well, to the producer of today's program, WNHA station manager Lucy Gelman, who will not be here next week because she will be in New Hampshire telling us what's going on with that other news story developing in our part of the country. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic Experience performing Eliyahu Hanavi from the group's 2002 CD. This is the Afro-Semitic Experience. This is Paul Bass wishing you a day full of free slick kicks and a groovy gyration. Cozy up with us here all day and night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio for more local talk and music.